This is the second part of the two-part lesson this morning on shepherds. And just by way of review for just a moment, we spent the time in Psalm chapter 23 and Ezekiel chapter 34 looking at the contrast between what a true shepherd is and what a shepherd who abuses the flock or exploits the flock is all about. And we looked at a couple other passages that help complement that, like in Amos chapter 3, where the shepherd will pull leg and two legs and an ear from the, from the mouth of a lion. And so this, right now we want to turn to John chapter 10 and look at John chapter 10, which is Jesus as the true shepherd. In Psalm chapter 23 gives us the picture of the sheep to the shepherd point of view. Then John chapter 10 gives the picture of the shepherd to the sheep relationship. And so in verse chapter 1, in verse 1 of Psalm chapter, of John chapter 10. More surely I say to you, that he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who entered by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the door opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. <clears throat> and he brings out his own sheep and goes before them. My sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. Jesus used this illustration, <clears throat> but they did not understand the things that he spoke to them. The illustration Jesus uses, they're not familiar with. Because by and large, they're not shepherds. You have men that are fishermen. You have a tax collector. You have a zealot. These are men who, who are not experienced as being shepherds. And so when Jesus speaks to them about this, they are wondering exactly, what are you talking about? How does this relate? And so Jesus is going to teach his disciples what it is to be a shepherd. First of all, he talks about, in verse 1, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. You have the sheepfold. What you would have is as the shepherds would bring their sheep in from the country. They would have a common pen, we might say. It might be uh, bordered by rock that had been stacked. It might be bordered by, by briar that had been put together that would prevent any predator from finding his way into the sheepfold. What you have was essentially a, a pen in which the shepherds would bring their sheep in from the field. And more than one shepherd would put more than one flock into that pen it was not isolated to one particular sheepfold or one particular flock and so the shepherds bringing them in and puts them in the sheepfold well when the shepherd comes to retrieve them he didn't climb the fence when the shepherd comes to retrieve them he goes through the door but if you have someone that comes that's climbing the fence to get in he says you know that guy's not the shepherd because shepherds enter by the sheep door. He said, he who enters the sheep by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. 
to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. Not only do the sheep know the shepherd, but the doorkeeper knows the shepherd. And so the protection is there while the shepherd is away until he comes and gathers his flock again and then takes them out to the pasture once again. And so the first thing is you have this protection for them. And you can tell the difference between a shepherd and someone who's not by the way they enter. The shepherd doesn't enter in a clandestine way. The shepherd doesn't enter in a way that is going to do any harm to the sheep. He's going to enter into the door. The doorkeeper knows him. And he's then going to have access to his sheep. And then it says, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. Numbers 27, 2 Samuel 5, Psalm 23. We saw the leading out, the shepherd goes before. The shepherd leads them out. The shepherd doesn't drive them out. The shepherd leads them out. And furthermore, the shepherd knows the sheep by name. That may sound a little strange to us. We name dogs. We name cats. But here, the shepherd knows his sheep by name. He has named his sheep. It's not sheep number one, sheep number two, sheep number three. He has named his sheep. That speaks of the close relationship between the shepherd and his flock. And what Jesus is saying is, I know who my sheep are, and I know the name of my sheep. Pause. Sidebar. That should offer us a great deal of comfort. Because we are his sheep, and he knows our name. We're not strangers to him. We're not, we've not just been introduced to him. We're not going to be introduced on Sunday morning, pass out the door, come back the next week and say, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. He knows our name. But then he speaks to the under-shepherd to say, here the sheep are named and the shepherd knows their name. And furthermore, they follow him. He leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. The sheep follow him for, for they know his voice. Yet they by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him, for they do not know his voice. It's not just that you have the shepherd that knows the name of the sheep. It is reciprocal. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Now again, that may pass us by, because we don't live in a society, as I said, 9 o'clock, in a world that has that kind of agrarian type of, type of thing. In fact, cattlemen. Cattlemen have a particular way. They call, call the cows into the feed. And the shepherd has a way. He calls his sheep into the feed. He calls them, but they come because they know his voice. That's significant. This shepherd he's talking about is not novice to the group. He's a man whose voice the sheep know because he knows their name, and they have a close relationship together with one another. Now, I say that to emphasize this point. It may be that a man or men come to this congregation who, having served as a shepherd in a congregation in a previous town with a previous congregation, and that man may be a good man. 
He may have been a great shepherd in Congregation X and in Town X. But he comes to this congregation, to this sheepfold. He doesn't know the sheep. And the sheep don't know his name. So yeah, but he served, he served as an elder over here. If he served as an elder over here, certainly he can transfer his eldership. No, it's not how it works. The sheep have to know the man, and the man have to know his name, their name. How can you have that relationship with sheep, people? It's a people thing. How can you have that relationship with people if you don't know the people? And you don't know not only their name, but know something about the people. That takes time. That takes time for an individual, a man, to establish himself among the congregation to know not only the name of the people, but know the sheep, and the sheep know his voice, and they follow him. So now he's not only a novice in the sense that by his character he's not, and by his experience he's not, he's also not a novice to the group. He is experienced with the group. He has proven himself to the group that they can trust his voice and follow his voice. That is so important. How else is he going to lead? Okay, pause. If all we're talking about when we talk about this is an administrator, and all we need is someone to administrate the finances, all we need is someone to, to administrate the property, okay, then he can transfer his eldership because he can be an administrator. But we're not talking about administrators. We're talking about men who know the people, not only their names, but know something about them and has experience with them, and they follow him because they hear and know his voice. This congregation is very shepherd-centered. It is not preacher-centered. This congregation knows the voice of her shepherds, and this congregation follows the voice of the shepherds. That's a compliment. That's a compliment to you. It's a compliment to the men you have that shepherd you. That you have that kind of confidence in the voice. So he says here, they, they hear a stranger, they're not going to follow him because they flee, they don't know his voice. So Jesus is going to explain this a little bit more, verse 7. He said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now he makes himself the door. I am the way in which they enter. Whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear him. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling. He who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep and sees the wolf coming, leaves, flees from the sheep, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because, because he does not care about the sheep. You see the contrast there? You see the stark, stark difference? You have the thief comes, and when the thief comes, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's not the shepherd. But then he moves from the thief to the hireling. Now, the thief just comes in. The thief has, has, has no ulterior motive except to, to steal and to destroy. That's all he does. 
But now you have the man that's the hirelings. It's hard to hire loyalty and integrity and selflessness. Because at some point in time, if what we're trying to do is pay for loyalty, integrity, and selflessness, selflessness, when the problem comes, the pay's not enough, the man that's being paid will run away. Why? Because he's in it for what he's getting paid. Shepherds didn't make much. They did not have much, in, much they were being, they don't own the sheep. They're working at the behest of the shepherd. They don't make much money. And so the hirelings look at this. He says, okay, here comes the wolf. I see the sheep. I see how little I'm getting paid. Hey, I'm out of here. I'm not being eaten up because I'm not getting paid enough. I don't own these sheep. I don't, I don't have the investment in them. The owner does. And I'm out of here. I'm not risking my life for them. I'm not being paid enough. I'm not going to be loyal to them. I'm not going to be selfish to, selfless to them. I'm not going to honor my agreement because I'm not being paid and danger has come. I'm going to flee from danger. And you leave the sheep exposed to the wolf that comes. But he says a true shepherd does this. A true shepherd stays. A true shepherd stands between the sheep and the enemy, the true shepherd, will give his life for his sheep. Now, of course, we're talking people here. He's using this to talk about people. He's not talking about, he's using the analogy of a shepherd and a sheep to talk about the relationship between a shepherd and the people between himself and his sheep. And what he's saying is, the reason you need to have a man that holds fast the word of God is so he can convict the gainsayer when the gainsayer comes in by his gainsay to stand between the people and the gainsayer to convict him and to hold fast the word and protect the flock from anything that would be erroneous that would destroy the flock and their souls. Or not only hold fast the word to convict the gangsayer, but to be able to hold fast the word because he knows something about the word and he knows the difference between sin and immorality and not let immorality penetrate the sheepfold and stand up to immorality so immorality does not influence and pass along the disease among the sheep. You need a shepherd. He says, who is willing to lay down his life for you. Before this church asked me to serve as one of her shepherds in September of 2005, I have to tell you, when it was Joe and Daryl and Charlie King for a while, it was really easy for me to stand up here and let it pour off of me and make sure Joe and Daryl and Charlie King got the point like they didn't know it already it was really easy to preach that but things changed in 2000 2005 to practice what I just spoke here it's heavy stuff it's loose sleep kind of stuff it's tighten your stomach kind of stuff. 
that you are going to be willing as a shepherd to stand between the flock and danger, whatever the danger is, to make sure the flock is protected, even if it requires giving your life for them? You're not my children. My wife didn't give birth to you. It's different with Cody and Cam and the grandkids because Jody gave birth to them. They're our children. But greater insignificance is this. You're God's children. And God said, I need shepherds who know the sheep by name, know the sheep, and is willing to stand before danger and protect them, even to the point of giving his life. And if all an individual is interested in doing is making sure people pray for him every Sunday, thank you for the elders, but run when danger comes, then please don't be a shepherd. Because the time will come. The time will come when you as a shepherd with other shepherds will be tested. And the well-being of the flock will be in your hands. As to whether that flock survives or not. Because here's the deal. It's not that we don't want to lose the flock as a whole. Because in actuality, there's really very little danger in that. It's that we don't want to lose a single lamb. And you can't just say, okay, well, we got the 99 here. And this one's going to be a little too costly. So, okay, we'll, we'll dismiss for the night. And that lamb can root hog or die poor. All pray if they want to. The gangs here can have that lamb. We got the others. Now, it's not that we don't lose the whole flock. Is that we don't lose a single one of the flock. That we're willing to lay down our life for every single person in the flock. And that means every single person in the flock has tremendous value to God. And a shepherd must value his sheep in the same way he values them. Now, I've got to tell you, that's weighty stuff to think about. And so he continues on then. In verse 13, the hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about his sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by them. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them also must bring. They will hear my voice and there'll be one flock and there'll be one shepherd. I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep and am known by them, and I lay down my life for them. Do you see the close, intimate relationship between the shepherd and the flock? And that close, interpersonal, deep relationship between the people and her shepherds. Shepherds are people who are known by the flock. They're not strangers to the flock. So when you think about John 10... Think about it from the standpoint of 
this particular kind of presentation, you think about the sheep know his name, you think about the loyalty, think about the self-sacrifice that is there, you, you see the shepherd's care. The shepherd knows the strength, the heart, the attitude, the personality, and the experiences, the shape of the sheep. And as someone said, I don't care how much you know until I know how much you care. And so we have to know, we have to experience that care for each other. And so you have that care that's been demonstrated by the willingness to stand before and give your life. The next passage I'd like to look at and take some time thinking about is John chapter 21. Is John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. When they, had, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know, you know all things. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Did you notice how he said that? First of all, he says, feed my lambs. The lambs are the little ones. And he says, feed, and that idea of feed is not bring them into the sheepfold. That idea of feed is general, is to provide pasture. Pasture. Pasture my lambs. Pasture my lambs. And then he comes and he says, changing terms, tend my sheep. Sheep and shepherds, they're, they're, they're companion terms together. And so he says, feed, pasture my lambs, tend my sheep. The idea of tend would, all, would also include pasture, but it's not only pasture, but it is also a closer inspection upon them than simply you take them out to the pasture. It would have to do with discipline. It would have to do with authority. It would have to do with care. That would be expressed and be demonstrated. Among. You tend to them. If I say I'm going to tend to business today, what am I saying? I'm going to, I'm going to give all my attention to business. In first, and hold your finger there. In 1 Peter 5, look at, look at what he says in 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. And look at verse 2. 1 Peter 5 and verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. And that expression, shepherd the flock of God, is tend to the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. To tend is to shepherd, and to shepherd is to tend. I'm going to tend, I'm going to give my attention to business. So he says, give attention to my sheep. And then he comes down in the third time and says, now feed my sheep. So you have feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and now feed my sheep. So he's saying to John, John, I have these little ones out here. And then I have this larger flock out here. 
And I want you to make sure these little ones that they're fed. But I want to make sure that this larger flock, that you tend to that larger flock. And as you're tending to the larger flock, I want to make sure that you feed that larger flock as well. But notice there's something else significant about this. Three times he says, my, my lambs, my sheep, my sheep. Did you get that? He didn't say, Peter, these are your lambs. Peter, these are your sheep. He said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Tim, my sheep, feed my sheep. These are my sheep. They are mine. And so what he says is, there's a chief shepherd and there are under shepherds. And the chief shepherd is going to ask the under shepherds, did you feed my lambs? Did you tend to my sheep? And did you feed my sheep? That's what he's saying. They're not ours. They're his. And what he's saying is, I'm going to let a congregation ask men to be shepherds, to shepherd them. But I want those men to understand they don't belong to them. They're stewards of my flock. Not bosses. Not legislators. Not dictators. Not lords. They're shepherds of my flock. So about the time you think you got the big head because you're shepherd, just remember, you're going to answer the chief shepherd because that's my flock, and you're going to answer for how you fed Tended to my flock. Now, if it's not daunting enough to think about what we did in John chapter 10, and not daunting enough to think about Psalm 23 and Ezekiel 34, now you've really bitten it off and said, okay, what we've done is the congregation has asked certain individuals, certain men, to shepherd us as God's people. And they say, okay, I will accept that responsibility that you've asked me to do but they don't belong to you. They belong to the Lord. And that changes everything. That changes everything with how the shepherd views the flock and how the shepherd treats the flock and how the shepherd makes sure the flock has every provision the flock needs to flourish because They're the Lord's people. They're the Lord's lambs. They're the Lord's sheep. You see that? You see the gravity of that? The Lord is saying, here's your hand. And I'm going to put my sheep in your hand. Now you're going to carry them. You're going to lead them. You make sure they're fed. Make sure they lie down in green pasture. Make sure they got water. Make sure they don't kill each other. Oops, well, that's a big one. Wait a minute. The shepherds are going to make sure the Lord's sheep don't kill each other. Is there ever trouble among the flock where the flock might literally metaphorically kill each other? Who's going to stand in between to make sure the sheep don't kill each other? The shepherd is. What if it cost him his life? What if it cost him among the flock? The shepherd's willing to give give himself for the flock because they belong to the Lord. And so, he says, feed my sheep. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And so you have the idea of uh, in feeding and tending that take place in John chapter 20. But turn to Ephesians chapter 4. In the midst of things that, that Paul is elucidating here, where he begins in verse 11. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. 
And I would say pastors who teach, pastors and teachers are complementary, they're, 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 they're paired together. So he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some teaching pastors. For, that word for is with a view to something. With a, why, why do you have pastors who teach? Why do you have shepherds who pastor who teach? With a view to equipping of saints. For in order to do the work of ministry, in order to do the work of the edifying of the body of Christ. Question, in this passage, who does the edifying? It's not the pastors who teach. The pastors who teach are equipping who? They're equipping saints to do what? The work of service. And they're equipping saints to do the work of edifying. Two things. Number one, it is not solely the responsibility of an evangelist and evangelist only to do the edification, to be the edifier in the congregation. If what we do is we reduce edification to one person, we have really minimized our opportunities to edify each other. Second of all, edification is not the sole and only role of the shepherds, so that if you have six men, ten men, twelve men, thirty men, and that's all you have to edify, and everybody else sits back in their easy chair and takes it easy, the flock's not going to be edified. Who edifies? The saints do. You remember I talked about informal leaders in the first lesson, where do elders come from? Informal leaders. Here you have pastors who teach with a view to equipping saints to the work of service, and the work of edifying. Here's where those informal leaders come in. It is responsibility of saints to do the work of service and the work of edifying. Now, elders are saints, evangelists are saints. And so there's a role in that. But if we look at it, it's only the elders' responsibility, it's only the shepherds' responsibility to the work of edifying, and I don't have that responsibility, then we're missing Ephesians 4. It's the responsibility of the shepherds to edify, to, to, to equip the saints to be able to serve and to edify one another. It is your responsibility to make sure everybody in this church is served. And it's your responsibility to make sure everybody in this church is edified. And it's the responsibility of your shepherds, your pastors who teach, to make sure you're equipped to do that. You see that? So it's not okay. We have, we, we have elders, we have shepherds, we have bishops. We'll turn the whole thing, whole hog and a biscuit, whole hog and a biscuit over to them. I get to sit in my pew on Sunday. I got to sit in my pew on Wednesday. Hey, I get to have Bible classes. They get to feed me. Open my mouth like a baby bird. Edify me, edify me, edify me. No. You're the ones who edify. You're the ones who teach. You're the ones who serve. And the shepherds make sure you're equipped to do it. Now, if the pastors who teach are not making sure you're equipped to do it, then they fail. But there's a failure to edify. It's not the failure if... The people are equipped. It's not the failure of the shepherds. It's the failure of the people. Who, when the opportunity to be equipped was given, did not take advantage of the opportunity to be equipped. Furthermore, he says, why do you do this? Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He said the same thing three different ways there. What he's saying is, till we all attain to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, till we all attain to where we look like, in image, Christ himself. That important word, important word, verse 14. 
that we should be no longer tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, and the cunning craftiness of deceitful things. Why do saints need to make sure they edify each other so they're not caught by the craftiness of Satan himself? Do shepherds protect? Yes, but saints help edify so nobody is tricked. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things in him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Every part does its share. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. If we want a group, a, a fellowship of people that is, that is really growing spiritually in America, every direction you want to go, then what it means is everybody's got to be doing their part. It's not just the shepherds. It's not just the pastors who teach. Everybody, if you're in O's, you do your part. If you're near, you do your part. If you're in ligament, you do your part. If you're in appendix, you do your part. You do your part. Everybody's got a part to play. What? So that the whole is edified, edifying itself in love. But shepherds do the equipping. They do the equipping for that. And then one final passage for this morning. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> In a passage it deals with, as Paul talks about the right to receive, report, to receive support in preaching the gospel, he uses this as an illustration, verse 7. Whoever goes toward his own expense, whoever plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink the milk of the flock. And what he's saying here is, here you have the shepherd that works, and here you have the flock that provides for the shepherd. I said this at 9 o'clock. Shepherds did not sell the sheep. Shepherds did not slaughter the sheep. But shepherds could drink the milk of the sheep. Shepherds could have the wool of the sheep. The sheep provided for the needs of the shepherd. And so you have that reciprocal relationship that's there. But they provide for the needs of the shepherds because you have that reciprocal relationship. John 10, they know each other. So 1 Corinthians 9 is kind of ancillary to the discussion, but it just simply speaks of the relationship that, that, that crosses each other here. That one, the, 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 the shepherds provide one thing and the flock provides something for the shepherds. And so you have that reciprocal relationship. Now, I've said this in every lesson and you will hear it repeatedly throughout this series. Can you find that kind of men or men? Does this church, beyond the six men you have now as shepherds, do you have men, a man or men that you can find that looks like this? That's doing this? You know what you don't find in this? You don't find the business model. The modern day business model is you have the, CE, the CEO, the COO, the CIO, and then everybody, they're in their ivory tower up here. They never come down and talk to the workers. They just sit there and tell everybody what to do and give word down, send an email down and trick, let, let it trickle down from the top. And if they get it, fine. If they don't, fine. If they don't, then they get fired, but he never goes and talks to them. That's not what you found here. You don't find the CEO sitting in his office. Okay, we've got a nice corner office over here Joe built for us. Okay, they're going to sit in a nice corner office. Y'all go. Go do it. Go do it. Get it. Go, go, go. Oh, you did bad. Oh, you're out. You did bad. No. You don't find that model. What you find the model is the shepherds and the sheep know each other. 
And the shepherds do everything they can to make sure the sheep have every provision, every protection, every need they have that is met. At last, we do have a chief shepherd. And if under shepherds fail, they'll answer to the chief shepherd. That is daunting in and of itself. That's another lesson, but that's daunting. But if the shepherds fail, each individual still has their own responsibility before the Lord. The shepherds will answer for their failure, but each individual has a responsibility before the Lord to answer to him or to come to him. And so if you need the chief shepherd of your soul, because you have been wandering off, and his word has been cast before you to draw you in, and to prick your heart to say, I need to be under the care of the chief shepherd who gave his life for me. And he made that possible for me. I can be baptized for the mission of my sins. I can enter into his sheepfold and have his endearing protection. Then why don't you come while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.